look at the people in your church and ask yourself, is this even something that is going to be good? I mean, if you have a church with a lot of older, older people, do we want all these older people to come to church? Coming to you from deep inside our lofty, heavily fortified bunker, located somewhere in the heart of Middle Earth. The show that doesn't shy away from tough questions or tough answers. Sit back, turn on your brain, and get ready for truth. It's a dirty job, but hey, somebody has to do it. And we're back with a full crowd today. Uh, remotely, mostly. Uh, David is here again. Shockingly. I see, I, I'm thinking that this uh, COVID panic demic, ooh, that's what we're going to call it, a panic demic. Panic that's pretty good. I like it. Uh, it's actually caused us to do more shows in the last two months than we've done in probably the last six so prior to that. Three times more than normal. <laughs> Double. Okay. Double. Uh, Jay's with us again. And, and sh again, surprise, surprise, the peanut gallery's in the building. I can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! And we are, uh, for those that, for those of you that just joined us, um, <laughs> we, uh, we were observing the, uh, Watertown public opinion, it's Watertown, South Dakota, the public opinion, uh, they're live streaming currently as we speak, the Black Lives Matter March in Watertown. I didn't, and so, and what I've seen so far is a bunch of white kids in masks and one, two, three people that I can tell from the video um, that are not white. So, go get them. What are the, oh, it's Black Lives Matter. Yeah. They're, they're not pro... Are, are they protesting? I, well, they have signs, um, but they're not being rude yet. Well, no, they were. They were swearing a lot. No, but, I mean, are they protesting uh, the, the police department or law enforcement or just general... Uh, Walking around town. The mayor showed up a minute ago and said... Are these the white kids that don't have cars, but they're calling it cruising? Aren't you guys being here 100%? Oh, yes. holy cow, hold on. I don't know if you guys can hear this. Nope. Well, let's see, just a second. It's a cop. He's saying it's an actual tragedy. We do need change, but we need peaceful change. Anyway, what? Anyway, apparently they is need... that what they said? Yeah, that's or... what the cop said. That's what the cop said. Oh, the cop just okay. said that. Yeah. Huh. <clears throat> On a, a another note, today, I believe. Once upon a time, there was a tavern. Where we used to raise a glass or two Remember how we laughed away the hours And dreamed all of the great things we would do During World War II, the Battle Those of Normandy, which lasted from June 1944 
August 1944 resulted in the Allied liberation of Western Europe from Nazi Germany's control. Codenamed Operation Overlord, the battle began on June 6, 1944, also known as D-Day, when some 156,000 American, British, and Canadian forces landed on five beaches along a 50-mile stretch of the heavily fortified coast of France's Normandy region. The invasion was one of the largest amphibious military assaults in history and required extensive planning. Prior to D-Day, the Allies conducted a large-scale deception campaign designed to mislead the Germans about the intended invasion target. By late August 1944, all of northern France had been liberated, and by the following spring, the Allies had defeated the Germans. The Normandy landings have been called the beginning of the end of the war in Europe. We thought they'd never end We'd sing and dance forever and a day We'd live the life we choose We'd fight and never lose For we were young and sure to have our way La 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 Those were the days Oh yes, those were the days Just tonight I stood before the tavern Nothing seemed the way it used to be In the glass I saw a strange reflection Was that lonely woman really me? Through the door there came familiar laughter I saw your face and heard you call my name Oh my friend, we're older but no wiser For in our hearts the dreams are still the same Those were the days, my friend We thought they'd never end We'd sing and dance forever and a day We'd live the life we choose We'd fight and never June 6, 1944 was a watershed event in World War II and arguably the defining moment of the 20th century in the West. To paraphrase Supreme Allied Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower, American soldiers in conjunction with American allies came for one purpose only, not to gain anything for themselves, not to fulfill any ambitions that the United States had for conquest, but to preserve freedom. Systems of self-government in the world to make sure that Hitler could not destroy freedom in the world. It just shows what free men will do rather than be slaves. Maybe that's a lesson we should possibly consider uh, today, perhaps. How does that translate today? <laughs> I don't know. Freedom? 
standing up against tyranny. Don't you think the term freedom has kind of been hijacked? Doesn't freedom now mean freedom as long as you agree with me? Yeah. Well, it depends on who's saying it, though. Well, maybe. I, I think on both sides of the fence. But, I mean, where did we get to this point that we can't have, like, I guess, intellectual conversations that people disagree well, well, you but, and I talked about this on the phone earlier, just the ability to have multiple people with different opinions get together and it creates a collective better idea mm -hmm. generally by sharing different opinions. But now it seems that that's not so much an option. Well, when was the last time, and I think the the mainstream media would, would show this video, uh, when was the last time a bunch of um, conservative people shouted down uh, a liberal person and wouldn't let them give their point of view. Oh, let's go do that. Let's go. They're, they're in Watertown now. We could try it. <laughs> the, yeah, my, my I think that's a good point, a though. I think that it's is a good a point, way. right. Yeah, the, the left, it, it appears, uh, and some would yell at me for continually politicizing this, but it pretty much falls down party lines. Uh, the left would have you believe that well no sorry never mind they have actually adopted that as their method and you're right the right does not tend to yell first now there are a group of right wingers who will counter protest which well, look what's happening. half the time but looks they won't belligerent they won't counter protest uh, a speaker if somebody's talking, they'll be polite and listen. They won't stand up. They won't start shouting. They won't call the police mm -hmm. on them. They won't do all that sort of stuff. That is. Well, I think you have. I think you do have some of that. It's just where, not, not nearly where, to the where. extent. That's my point. We can say, yeah, I think that happens, but I have not seen an example of it. I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. And um, it did so happen. So I'm going to be generalizing yep. because I can't remember, but I, I seem to recall. And that's my point that there. there. You have to there. you have to reach for a straw yeah. to come up with an example rather right. than. Fair enough point. But there is interesting going on now, and this is different, I think. Um, this is more of the stand your ground, we're not going to put up with it uh, mentality that's happening kind of just about everywhere now. Uh, where protests are starting to occur and local owners of property or local residents are lining the streets and making sure that they make their presence known, whether it be with their just presence and or weaponry to say, hey, we're here and we're not going to tolerate you getting out of control. And you do your thing, you do you, that's fine, but there's a whole lot of us here that are armed, and if you get out of control, we're not going to let you take over. Well, uh, Mayor Lightfoot holds a different view. Gordon? <laughs> yeah. Rick of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Chicago's far-left Democratic <laughs> mayor. Lori Lightfoot has asked, was asked earlier this week for her reaction to residents, quote, taking matters into their own hands in order to protect their communities amid the rioting over George Floyd's death. 
what did she say? She responded, obviously, we're aware of the fact that Illinois is a concealed carry state and that many people have weapons at their disposal in their homes and their businesses. Do not take matters into your own hands. Call the police, she said. That's a great idea. (laughs) Brilliant. She added that tragedy happens when people pick up guns as if they were police officers, oddly citing the Ahmed Arbery killing in Georgia, uh, which had nothing to do with self-defense against attackers that and rioters. That was months ago. Yeah. Do that not... was last year and was totally unrelated. <laughs> uh, do not pick up arms and try to be the police. If there's a problem, call 911. We will respond. I urge people to show strength and do not take matters into your own hand. These people hate the police. F the police. Kill them all. But call them. Defund the police. Who are you going to call when you defund the police? (laughs) Ghostbusters. But I don't know. Have you seen some of these stories? Like I was just, I just had a headline pop up, believe it or not, Alan, in (laughs) a peanut gallery will probably be surprised too. Although Klamath Falls, Oregon is very different than Portland, Oregon. It but, it's on the opposite side of the state. Well, and, true, but but even Klamath Falls, they just had some scheduled protests, but the streets ended up being lined with business owners that had their weapons and basically said, "Do your thing." Well, but I'll, don't, I'll don't tell you what, my business that doesn't surprise me for a second, knowing anything about Southern Oregon. I mean, that is the state of Jefferson down there. That's not really Oregon. That's okay. the part of the state that wants to be its own entity. That's fair, but it's kind of sandwiched between liberal California and north liberal. Well, sure. It is different, though. So I also that's saw... Kind of, you know what? That's almost very similar to where we live in Minnesota, because you've got the state of the metro, which is extremely liberal, which Oregon's that way. You have the state of the metro and mm-hmm. then the rest. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in Eugene. I mean, that is the same. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <clears throat> Uh, from the Minnesota Public Radio News. Oh, this will be uh, balanced. <laughs> <laughs> stop. Just stop right there. Uh, it was updated at 4.35 p.m., I believe. Negotiators for the city of Minneapolis agreed with the state Friday to ban the use of chokeholds by police and to require officers to report and intervene anytime they see an unauthorized use of force by another officer. Yeah, well, but I would. Good. I mean, don't don't you think that that's? Uh, I mean, it's good that it's codified now that you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would want police officers, but but you know they haven't whole, been. No, they haven't, and they're probably not ever. Uh, very rarely will it ever happen. And two of those police officers, two of the four police officers were rookies. One of them was his fourth fourth day on the job. Wow. And he's being charged. And he was the only one that went up and said, hey, uh, is it okay? Because uh, the guy who had the, the neon, whatever, the Floyd, mm-hmm. was the training officer. Oh, really? The training officer about what he was doing, and the training officer told him not to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So, four days on the job. <laughs> you know, that's one where, yeah, I mean, they're going to get their pound of flesh. You, you just don't want to be in the vicinity when they do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
keep going, Jay. You were talking. No, no, no. I, th- I was going to go down the exact same road that you were. That's kind of like in the military. You're you're told and expected to take orders. And if those orders go against what you've been taught, you still take the order. And you might put up a little bit of an argument, but you take the order. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, there's a, that's just kind of the way that it works. It's, I don't even know if that would be the unspoken rule. I think it's like spoken loud and clearly. It just might not be written anywhere. So is this a, uh, is this lip service? What? Well, is this just, oh, you're, yep, you're right. We're going to stop. Our police are going to intervene every time. Yep, 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 every time. I mean, do we now want the police to police the non-police and the police? Is that the idea? What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I would want to know, well, first of all, it wasn't necessarily a chokehold. That's what Minnesota Public Radio called it. I mean, putting a knee on somebody's back. He he died, okay? He murdered him. Just read it. He murdered him with his knee in the back of his neck. All right? He choked him out. Every police officer who takes somebody down nope. and murdered uh, him do them will initially put their knee in the back of your head to keep you from moving and fighting so i don't murder know what they're going to do now um if that is considered a chokehold shoot him that's not bad similarly okay. it says that it would require any officer regardless of tenure or rank to immediately radio or phone in from the scene the use of any neck restraint or chokehold to their commander or their commander's superior. Similarly, Snitches. any officer who sees another officer commit any unauthorized use of force, including any chokehold or neck restraint, must try to intervene verbally and even physically. So now the cops are going to be fighting each other. If they don't, yeah. they'd wow. be subject to discipline as severe as if they themselves had used the prohibited force. Let's, okay, wait a second. Let's take a step back for a minute. The kind of the way that you you are tongue-in-cheek arguing this is that as though it happens on every stop and every arrest, and it's so rampantly everywhere. It must be, or they wouldn't the, need to ban it. That the police, no, you're talking about, you're talking about very public cases that have occurred, but it's still... The tremendous minority. It's kind of like the entire coronavirus death thing. Does it happen? Yeah, but it's so much the minority. However, that's all the media focuses on, and it's no different with police overuse of force or police brutality. Does it happen? Of course it does. Just like teachers sleep with their students, but it's so much the minority. We should make teachers sleeping with students illegal. You know, oh wait, it already is. How many people are on this city council? Do you guys know? Which city council? Minneapolis. I think Minneapolis, seven. Seven. What? Seven. There's twelve. Oh, sorry. There's twelve. What happens in a tie? There's got to be more. It can't be even. Oh, twelve plus the mayor. Okay. I would assume. Uh, what do you think the vote was to approve this uh, new thing? All. Twelve. Yep. And the mayor. Well, 12 to 0, so I'm assuming the mayor didn't need to because there wasn't a tie. He only I wonder if the mayor only votes. So it must be 12 plus the mayor, and the mayor is a tiebreaker. Although something. you would think old Fry, Babyface Fry, would want to get his name on the record agreeing with this, right? 
We know where he stands. <laughs> We're going to defund the police. <laughs> well, no, I, dismantle I just think it, the police. Yes, dismantle them. And um, this this is more just knee jerk reaction. I, you know, <laughs> did you use the term knee jerk on purpose? <laughs> no, I didn't, but now that you mentioned it, I'm a genius. Um, but, or you're uh, just heartless and uncaring. Okay. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Um, uh, you know, uh, when, when bad things happen and, uh, I, I, th- this is this is the conversation I think that needs to needs to happen. Um, there needs to be a discussion about qualified immunity with law enforcement mm-hmm. officers, for prosecutors, for judges, and all the rest of it. And then there also has to be a discussion at at you know um, it used to be that when uh, you get in a, a high speed pursuit. Um, unless it was somebody's, you know, absolutely going to die, you call it off and you, and you catch them some other time. Um, it seems reasonable to me that if somebody has a, like in this case, uh, it is trying to pass a $20, uh, $20 bill and, um, he started resisting arrest the question you have you have to ask is at what point do you restrain people and and uh, throw them down and take them in? And at what point? Yeah, I mean, what what's that line? When is that? What's the discussion that you're going to have? Um, because time and time again, you see people that don't comply or Wait, resist yeah. some. So, do you mean that instead of arresting somebody now it is would you please get in the police car voluntarily no uh well in in one sense yes in one sense yes and and so for instance um uh is that like the van and they stand sit in the van would you like some candy and they'd like hey come come here no uh it would be it would be like this come here kid and and i've seen (laughs) i've seen uh, you know, uh, videos and you, you, of um, uh, police, uh, body cameras, uh, somebody gets called out, a police officer gets called out, suspicious person. They go up and walk to the person. The person won't give them their name. Now they can do a Terry frisk, which is checking simply to see if they have any weapons. What's that called? They can't detain. Uh, <laughs> Just leave it alone. <laughs> Um, but I wasn't sure that that into the air force, <laughs> they can't, um, it, it's not necessarily detaining them. Now, if they don't comply, if they don't, um, if they don't instantly at times, um, comply with everything that the police officer says, What's the threat? You either do this or you're under arrest. And if they, the minute they say that they're under the under arrest, and they don't uh, instantly give up when they're trying to handcuff them, out comes a taser, out comes the chokehold, and you throw them to the ground. Out comes the uh, you get a bunch of other people to pound on them until they comply, and you drag them in, even though 
that person maybe had a bad day and didn't want to sign the 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 speeding ticket. At what point, if they're going to go this route, yeah. At what point does do do the police not do that anymore? Right. No, I do. I understand what you're saying, and I, I apologize. I've been a little facetious on this, just because I think there's such a pendulum swing reaction. I mean, to I think I think when you have elected officials at the highest level of that particular municipality that are making statements like defund the police or a week and a half ago making statements like murder when there hasn't even been an investigation yet by everyone. Yeah, there's well, I'm specifically holding Mayor Fry and Governor Waltz responsible for using the term murder. No, absolutely. Yes, but he did it. The Senate GOP, the United States Senate GOP says that our congressperson from South Dakota says the murder of him was unacceptable. Come on. So my point. My point is. When you start trying to change things like. What, what David's talking about, you know, complying with an arrest or you like you don't chase a high speed car, um, then you don't fight somebody that's resisting arrest. Um, I think that is a little symptomatic. That that's that's trying to treat the flu with Kleenex. All you're really doing is taking care of the symptom at that point. Yeah, but the you're flu really works doing. itself out. I think that's a little. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I know that but, the but, analogy breaks but, but down. The Let me problem. get to my point. That's <laughs> taking too long. My point is, I had a really good talk with a state officer, a state trooper today, and I asked the question, and he agreed. And this person's actually a military veteran, also deployed several times. Oh, killer! Good. That is, officers that work in certain zip codes that are. Um, subjected to violent criminals on a very regular basis are basically um, day-to-day hardened combat veterans that deploy every day and are never given a break. But in the military, when somebody deploys to a combat zone, they go out for six to nine months and they come back for three to six months and then they go, or they come back for a year and then they go back out for, for six to nine months. And there's this refresh period that occurs. And during that refresh period, you get site counseling, you get um, training, you get, you get this different sense of refresher along with time off, just time away to decompress. That doesn't happen to officers. It's 365. They're working 410s or 412s, and they're doing it every day, and they don't get that break anymore. And I think also as a society, we don't look at officers in those zip codes as combat veterans. So there's a difference there in how they are treated, and maybe the idea of reform should be treated is is how do we reform the way that officers are treated internally so and, and the way that they are viewed by the public uh, based off of what they do in their zip code. Well, and the, I think, yeah, that's absolutely, that's absolutely valid. Um, but then the other question is the training that they're given now and what are the trigger points that they do certain things? that they 
you know, um, I remember talking to uh, a deputy and he actually showed me uh, the car video that he had. He had to serve papers on this uh, posse comitatus type person in this county. And he went up and the guy was on, it was at a farm. The guy was, I don't know, probably 50 yards, 75 yards away, he pulled up and the guy started screaming at him, calling him names, telling him to get off his property. And he said, I got papers here for you. And the guy's yelling and starting to walk quickly towards him. And he said there, and he laid him on the hood of the car, hopped in his squad and backed up quickly. And the guy chased, chased the cop car off of his property. Okay. So other people would look at it and go, are you're going to take that? Um, what, you know, what the heck is wrong with you? That guy called you names. The guy is threatening you. The guy's running at you guys doing all this sort of thing. And he understood that there's no point in this fight that, uh, even though his ego wasn't involved in this incident, it wasn't about ensuring somebody is complying it was about serving papers and he knew that this guy was going to be a jack wagon right from the beginning so there's no point in fighting him you serve the papers and you go away was this in a rural environment or an urban environment this was in a rural well no one has pro- no one has property in an urban yeah, environment it's it's a farm so oh a farm <laughs> so i missed that part i well yeah. i didn't miss that part <laughs> um don't you Air think Force. there's um, a difference, though, in the thought process of the deputy? If he was, if he was uh, uh, 10, 15 years younger, he probably would have fought the guy. So the issue becomes one of ego at times. The issue becomes one of you comply. I'm a police officer. I have the badge. I have the gun. So is this then? I don't disagree with that, but could it be that if you deal with that in an urban setting two to three times a day, every day, do you become numb to it and you, and you don't. Oh, I'm sure you do. It's the same way. Well, and the other thing in an urban environment, you don't have to live with these people. You don't see them at the grocery store. Exactly. Right. Because you probably live in the suburb over the way. Across yeah. town, geez. Yeah. Even if you live five blocks away, you have right. no idea. Yeah. yeah. So is so, this? Uh, you know, we. I think last time we were together, we talked about the idea of the militarization of the police in America, or I did at least. Um, is this an indictment at some level on how and what America was founded on and to become? This idea that we have either because there's been some need that has caused our our uh, authorities to need to um, train more and more the police to become military at some level. Well, well, well consider, and, consider but, the number but why of people, is that? Consider the number of people that are in prison right now because of drugs. Mm. Consider um, the number of people <clears throat> that their lives are completely ruined because of too much of, you know, fill in the blank of the, of the drug. Um, and people now can be pulled over and it's no big deal. Um, but if 
you know, so say for instance, two years ago, you got pulled over with X amount of weed and you got 10 years in prison or whatever it is. And they changed the laws two years later Mm -hmm. to make it legal what you did before you're still serving the 10 years in prison right. mm-hmm. you don't get out well did, right. did you see elon musk's tweet today i think no. no um let me find it real quick <clears throat> he tweeted that he said this will probably get me into trouble but i feel i have to say it Selling weed literally went from major felony to an essential business being opened during pandemic in much of America, and yet many are still in prison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's exactly. exactly what you said. And, and that is insane to think about. If we're now mandating that a pot shop must stay open during a panic-demic, whatever we want to call it, uh, and yet these people still are residing in jail for doing the thing that's now protected and allowed to operate in the middle of this. Is that not just lunacy? To me, it's absolute lunacy. But yeah. if you talk to an attorney, they probably disagree for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I'm speculating. But ne- nevertheless... Well, it is. Uh, I would say that there is some kind of slippery slope, though, there too, David. And the fact that if you if the law changes, if somebody's convicted today of a law, and then the law changes in ten years, and that person is then released, did the crime ever happen? And if the crime did happen, then was it should it have been a crime? Is there now a liability? for the fact that the state changed the law. So do they get some type of compensation for the 10 years that they were in prison? Can you see where this would go from a... All they'd have to do is say, uh, uh, give them immunity, give the prosecutors, the judge, whatever immunity to it. Does Bruce Jenner maintain his uh, gold medals? (laughs) Or Caitlin, sorry, Caitlin Jenner. (laughs) Bruce Jenner is not alive anymore. I know. But, I dead name. Um, Sorry. His name is on the gold medal. Would Caitlyn Jenner maintain the the prestige of those? What? <laughs> That's not even a criminal matter. What are you talking about? <laughs> the idea is it changed and now we have to figure out the deal with the fallout. Going back no, in I, time because who who, I who, understand who where earned you're coming it? From. Like who earned like did the guy that earned those gold medals is he now dead and gone? And so the person that exists now, metaphorically, yes. So, so then there should <laughs> royalties his, should his, stop being paid. His penis is. <laughs> Wait, is he gone? Paid for that gold medal? Uh, no, but I'm sure there's some endorsement deals. You think there are endorsement? It's deals a speculation, for Jenner. No, no, for Bruce. Today? For Bruce. Well, who knows? Were there books written about him that he's collecting uh, royalties on? I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why people listen to this show. Cause we, <laughs> that is not why people listen to the show. People listen to the show because pot is an essential business. <laughs> oh, brother. Um, I sent this to I... you gentlemen. Yes. A couple days ago. But you know, just speaking of you know this whole policing thing, 
Uh, the members of the Minneapolis City Council pledged to dismantle the city's police department in the wake of worldwide protests. Um, they're going to dismantle it, and re- this is what I don't understand, and d- replace it with a transformative new model of public safety. Boy, talk about talking point gibberish. Well, What is that transformative new model? What is that going to look like? Social workers. I can tell you that. <laughs> what are they uh, going to do? How are they going to go get some criminal off the street? Or are we no longer going to be able to get them off the street? You're going to talk them down. <laughs> I can tell you this. So whether or not that makes sense, I, I have my opinion. What I can tell you from a trooper perspective that basically just deployed and lived in the cities for the last week and a half. It's interesting wording you use, but okay. Huh? That's an interesting word to use, deployed. Well, he lives in a rural setting, but he's a state trooper, and he was ordered to show up in Minneapolis and live there for 10 days. Is that considered deployed? That's deployed. But anyway, okay, so... Um, I'm sure the real military per- would argue with that. <laughs> his per- well, he Wait, was, the National he- Guard gets deployed too, so never mind. He, he was deployed many times overseas, and uh, I think a sergeant major. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, David. Uh, yes, I knew. Um, I don't remember which wars he was deployed in, but regardless, that does One not two. matter. His point was simply that, regardless of whether you thought what the officer did was right or wrong in his actions, the words of the mayor and the governor calling the person a murderer mm-hmm. really made the troopers jobs very difficult in trying to tame riots and didn't do any favors at all to the city. And then when they're still trying to keep things calm and the city council talks about defunding the police, he said that certainly didn't do us any favors as you're trying to keep people calm and they're screaming at you. You shouldn't even be paid anyway. Yeah. Well, and then uh, Mayor, uh, what's his name? Uh, The genius from L.A. Oh. Garcetti. Garcetti are cutting $100 to $150 million from the police budget. To what end? That guy, does he understand he's protected by these people? The only reason he doesn't get shot is because of these people? Yeah, but if he cuts the budget by 150 million, the people will love him and not shoot. Him. Yeah, uh-huh. And go down to Compton and talk about that. <laughs> Straight out of Compton. <laughs> did you um <laughs> did I send you guys the link of the village in Alaska that has yeah. officers that are unarmed because uh they don't have the budget to arm their officers? I thought it and was a the- British model. Uh, and so there were two officers from this village and a citizen pulled a gun on one of the officers and point blank pointed it at the officer and pulled the trigger, but misfired. And it was a citizen that showed up with their own personal gun that stopped the crime. And what's the logic behind the police not having, not being armed? they, they, They don't have the budget for it. For the liability of it, or to actually buy the thousand dollar weapon? Well, thousand—that's a lot. That's when you when you've got a yeah. That's Alaska. That's twelve. That's twelve thousand dollars. That's Alaska. How much money do they get in like paid money for being in the oil world up there? Yeah, it's also it's also probably um, virtue uh, signaling. 
a <laughs> tribe or whatever. It's probably made of Eskimo or Native, you know, Native American. <laughs> Slippery slope. A <laughs> Native Eskimo? Now, it, I've heard some say that Eskimo is a racial slur now. Is it? I don't know. What what do you, whatever it doesn't matter it <laughs> it doesn't matter because whatever word you use they're going to find a reason it's why wrong. you're a, a monster for using it later. And, well, we can can we call ourselves names? Well, I always do call you names. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you, I, I, you I have or I'll I'll give you permission to call you name. Okay, thank you. Yourself a name. I mean. Okay. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> well, what else do we have on the docket? NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell released a statement on behalf of the league on Friday. That'd be yesterday. Acknowledging, quote, we were wrong, he says, in handling the issue of player protest. Goodell's message oh arrives gosh. after 10 days of protests and civil unrest in cities nationwide in the aftermath of the Georgie Floyd's death. Is he and, talking about Kaepernick? And a call from prominent black NFL players oh, yeah. to make a statement. Here's the statement. Ready? Ready, ready, ready? We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systemic, really? no, systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe that black lives matter. I, I Hello, that's what pays their bill. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much-needed change in this country. Without black players, there would be no NFL. Hello. And the protesters... Now that is a racist <laughs> or a prejudiced thing to say, right? <laughs> and the what? protests... <laughs> what? These things, they drive me crazy. Yeah. Did um, your head just come off of your neck? <laughs> well, I mean, we uh, we uh, denounce racism mm -hmm. or yeah. we reject it. Uh, so so they actually had to come out and say, we stopped all the KKK rallies that right. we've been yeah. doing. In the, you know, that's like, um, that's I have just an idea. insane. That's just insane. You know, you know, they should put their money where their mouth is. And so, I think... When 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 a teacher when a teacher does something inappropriate with a student, does the school district come out and say we denounce pedophilia? No, exactly. They don't. You're right. So they support pedophilia then. <laughs> right. I mean, so, it's just insane. And, and it's a David's total pandering. Anytime soon. Um, <laughs> Why don't they just put their money where their mouth is and just cut all player salaries down to $150,000 a year and take all of the excess and put it into Black Lives Matter Ooh. NAACP scholarships? Interesting. He says, well, without, I, without black yeah. players, there would be no NFL. That is such a... I, it's It's true, but it's outrageous. I yeah, I can't believe that that was even said. That's yeah. pretty crazy. And the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. The stance is a stark contrast to the NFL's response to player protests addressing police brutality and systematic oppression of black Americans. Colin Kaepernick. When's, set the tone. When's he going to resign? Oh, man, he should. Oh. 
kidding. Colin, they got to put a black guy in his place. Colin Kaepernick yeah. set the tone for those protests that involved kneeling during the national anthem. Kaepernick hasn't played since how long ago? How long has it been since he's played? Three years. 2016. As political pressure led by President Donald Trump condemned those protests, shifting the subject from black oppression and police brutality to a false narrative concerning the military and patriotism. The NFL has treated, has threatened in the past to impose fines on players who kneel and teams that permit kneeling. Goodell's statement arrives a day after several prominent black NFL players released a video addressing Floyd and other victims of police brutality while calling upon the NFL to say the words that Goodell spoke in Friday's video. Here's a, tw- a tweet from Saquon Barkley. The NFL, uh, where is it? Oh, that's a Shaquan. picture. Saquon. Ain't no shuh. It's S-A. You're telling him how to pronounce his <laughs> own no name? Sh- <laughs> <laughs> you might want to cut this whole... Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, you might want to hit the not record button on this yeah. one. It does not get uploaded. Write down the number of minutes. <laughs> one minute, three seconds. No, one hour, three minutes. Oh, brother. We Fine. here at the David Allen Show denounce Allen. <laughs> I apo- I'm Alan, simply... Alan's views do not... Do I apologize for misspeaking on Barkley's first name. I just don't know how it's spelled. Said. (laughs) The statement also... I apologize to anyone that took that incorrectly. (laughs) The statement also arrives after widespread rebuke of New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees for his statement on Wednesday implying that those who protest by kneeling are unpatriotic. Breeze has since issued two formal apologies to his statement. So has football lost all, is it done? Done for what? I don't know. Done for good. So I hope so. Or, or is it going to get restructured like the police? Because it's all white owners and it's white league officials and a bunch of black players, which I have said for many, well, probably since the beginning of this show that I look at the professional athletics and primarily football, the same as the old time Coliseum back in Rome and the gladiator trade, the slave trade, because what is the NFL combine? The NFL combine is when all these young athletes get together and they show off how physically uh, able they are. And they get judged based on their physical ability. It's like it's like going. Don't take this wrong. America. No, it's like going to a horse show, or going to an auction to buy animals. No, no. Thinking about it. Think thinking about it. I I understand where you're coming from. I understand where you're coming from. We need to change the language very rapidly. I said it's like. But but Still, the thing that frustrates me is we pay we we dangle a, a million dollar watch <laughs> we we dangle lots and lots of money in front of these kids so no one cares that they are being paraded around like as if they were animals and these white coaches and white football teams are watching them and they're evaluating the physical ability of these athletes so they can make their team better. How is this not no. a problem? 
because they're not doing it for their team. They're doing it to promote the black athlete to make millions of dollars. They're doing it for the betterment of the black athlete. If I would, if I swore, I would be swearing right now. <laughs> That's not true. It's not even close to true. I I agree. <laughs> I substantively well, agree. Substantively maybe, we need, maybe we need reverse affirmative action and we have to force more white athletes into the NFL. The pre- we want good we sports. Should, we should ban... Is it good sports? <laughs> we should ban black athletes from joining the NFL until it's 50-50. Oh, that's so interesting. we have a color code in the... In the NFL, how well, is it? Did you come up with that, or did you uh, <laughs> figure that out at the KKK meetings? <laughs> I was telling you earlier, it... you got to stop with the racism, okay? Okay. When does it end, though? I mean, let's. So, all joking and even really poor jokes aside, when does this end? At what point? does this get so unsustainable uh, that if you use the term black today, it's acceptable, but five years ago, black was not acceptable and it had to be African-American. And then before that, it wasn't African-American, it was people of color and before, and I'm sure I'm screwing it all up, but it's- You are. But it's, there's, if at some point when, when does this end? And it's, I think we talked about it on the last show where the news media no longer reports that a black person was arrested, but that just someone was arrested. That was happening in the 80s and early 90s. Why did we go back to reporting color again? Well, that that's something I don't know if you guys paid attention, but I did a, <clears throat> a, a, a little screed, shall we call it? I don't know. I did a 20-minute show previous to this that's out in the, in, in the ether. Um and that, no, a couple of days ago, uh, and that was really the the thought that I was having, and we can talk about it a little bit. Is this idea that when I was young and uh, a growing lad, I don't ever recall being encouraged or conditioned that um, people's skin color uh, uh, set the value of who they are and their worth and whether they were smart or not or uh, valuable. That's because you're white privileged. Right, exactly. This is the problem. But right now, I'm not supposed to not look at color. I'm being told that if I have a a colorblind mentality, I am the problem. And there's a huh? That's what's being being facilitated. I didn't. Yeah. Is that really what's being? Do you see that? It's kind of hard to see in the picture. It says I uh, the it says the dangers of the I don't see color mentality. What? Okay, no, I was not aware yeah, of this. Program. Well, see, but here's here's the thing with all of this. This isn't um you have the useful idiots that are being used to propagate this stuff. Now, just like people don't have to come out and say they're that racism is horrible. I think the vast majority of people know that racism is horrible, that murder is horrible, that pedophilia is horrible, that torture, slavery, all of it is horrible, and that people don't support that. <clears throat> That's obvious if you're uh, if you're a, even a semi decent human being 
that it becomes obvious. So it's not about that. It is about marginalizing people. It is about diverting uh, attention away from people. And it's about pushing our society in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And they're using this right now. So in, in some sense, I know we, we talk about it, but it is, um, it's more like the wizard of Oz where we don't see that there's somebody behind the curtain. And we think it's this, we think it's the great and powerful Oz, but it's the dude behind the, the, the curtain in a sense that is, that is pushing this sort of stuff. And, um, uh, you watch the Hill every so often on, on YouTube. Do you never do? I don't think so. Um, anyways, it's this, uh, guy and a gal, and that's probably bad to call them gals. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's two uh, people. Yeah. Uh, it's two people. That's what you're saying. I don't know what, (laughs) anyways, um, is this the king of the hill? Ovary deficient. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, um, that's different. Ovary deficient. No. Oh my god. I I don't know. I don't know what you call. Uh, but um, they came out there. They tend to kind of be more on the liberal progressive side, and they were on uh, Joe Rogan. And oh, this is a uh, um uh oh brother. Yeah. What is her name? Yeah. Okay, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Anyways, is this the video that yeah, you were yes, talking, that yep. you sent the other day about cultural class segregation versus, or not segregation, but cult, cultural class ism, not necessarily racism? Yes, that the corporations are really supporting it to try to defer. I, I, I'm sorry, divert people's attention from what they want, um, and and. I don't know if they're necessarily correct on that, but when people come out and they say outrageous things that anybody with, with, you know, with any type of insight would look at and go, that's crazy. And then you have powers that be that come out and support it. They're not supporting it. And when they push it and they push it and they push it, they're not pushing it in the direction that, that, that's not what they want um be, because you you look at all the things that have happened in the past and how things change constantly um you know for a while there it was the the homosexual lobby and you know pushing about gay marriage and whatnot and then it was uh trans uh transsexuals uh what uh transgenders and there's <clears throat> anyways and and uh they're pushing society in a certain direction to do something. So when we talk about this stuff, this isn't, this isn't like anything is going to be changed except, or maybe I should say the things that are being, that are being talked about and changed are, are trying to get us uh, acclimated to certain things. Look at, like I've said before, look at nine one one. Look at the direction that we've we've uh, went after nine one one. Look at all the liberties that we gave up after nine one one, constantly. So, <clears throat> in a certain sense, I think that one of the big things that people need to look at and speculate about and talk about and chew on is what is their ultimate purpose? Whose ultimate purpose? Exactly. Powers that be. Here, but here's here's something that I don't understand. 
that we're being commanded to do here. Because By, because in the news media, mm-hmm. they could change, they could divert the attention that they're pushing at any time. Because, they could divert it. Yeah. It's clear that this is not a two-way conversation. This is being pushed. Yeah. And we're being pushed right. and being told what to think and what to look at. Mm-hmm. So okay. whoever's telling well, people to right. push and, it. And, and, and because, but, but this... point now. Well, but, but this, it, yeah. this don't see color mentality. One of the problems is... If I don't see color, the danger of that is I'm not actively dismantling my own prejudice. And it says we all have them, which means are they actively dismantling their prejudices as well? No, that's not what it means. Yeah, exactly. So this is a one-way street. Well, and prejudice, there, there isn't anything wrong with prejudices. There are positive prejudices also. There are... There are neutral, there are probably more neutral prejudices than there are either direction. Example. But I think the point, I think, and David, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think the point that you're making, and, and I understood this when I was watching the video, but I don't think it drove home quite so much as when you were summarizing right now, is there, there is class segregation that has occurred in the United States on a very large scale. And that class segregation has existed for a very long time. But in the 80s and 90s, we started to walk away from the color mentality and the news would report somebody was somebody committed a crime, but not black man committed a crime. We, we went and did this homework and found this in the media. Whereas in the last 10 years or so, more and more race and color is being brought back into the argument. Well, what is the motive of the media to bring race and color back into the conversation? And that motive is to divert the, um, what is happening at the, at the upper, upper, upper class level from a large business scale mentality of, rich getting richer, poor getting poorer. Is that what you think? Yeah. And I mean, look at, look at Amazon. Well, and that's yeah. exactly I mean, what Seg, is it Sagar, Sagar, the guy's name? Yes. Um, him yes. and Crystal Ball is the girl. Um, yes, that's right. He, he was what? saying that. No, he that said. That's not her name. Yes. Crystal no, Ball is her name. Yes. Okay. Is she a stripper? <laughs> I is don't that know. Is that, is that a podcast name? <laughs> I don't know. Or is that like her real name? That, that's her, what she's called. I have no clue. You, you I think know, it's a real name. Her, her real name is Bubbles, but she wanted something that was uh, <laughs> but more. But but that's exactly what he I'm said. This up. He said, um, uh, "Bezos has every. He stands to benefit from Main Street dying. Like he's the one oh, that stands totally. to benefits the most of in all of this. And so it's advantageous of him to encourage looting and rioting at some, rioting at some level because it destroys." Small business, it destroys Main Street, and it forces everyone to then push all their um, their needs into a centralized system, which he has so graciously provided. And not only that, when they talk about getting rid of getting rid of the electoral college, when they mm-hmm. you know all the things, the centralization of mm-hmm. everything, all of a sudden you have uh, you have certain corporations that are going to be absolute monopolies. Well, and, but they're going to be yeah. wrapped up in into the government. See, I don't think I, a lot of people understand that Amazon's money 
is not necessarily in getting us stuff overnight. Amazon's money is in AWS, Amazon Web Services. A good portion of the interweb is stored on Amazon servers. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. I mean, yeah. if, if you want to buy a, a server to host your own email, Amazon's the way to go. Makes sense. Yeah, Amazon or, or Microsoft Azure. But yeah. I, I think Amazon's bread and butter is their Amazon store because you make a few cents off of millions of transactions every day. But it totally behooves them to get on board. Now, did you see that the, uh, there was a uh, warehouse in California? Three alarm fire burnt down. Friend of mine sells stuff on Amazon. Uh, a bunch of his inventory was in that building and it's now burned up. So that's a bummer. So whose insurance? Is that his insurance? I, I don't know. Someone else was talking to him about it and um, they had a, an issue happen in the past like that. And it was a nightmare to deal with the <clears throat> the paperwork of trying to figure out who was responsible. <laughs> and plus they're not going, they'll pay you probably pennies on a dollar too. Oh, to, sure. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's just wow. interesting because I think that the idea of it is right is it makes sense to keep the the slaves, the the dummies, the poor, the 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 middle to low class uh people in America to keep them down and reliant on government. Because when you're reliant on government, when you can force people into centralized systems, when we make uh you can't go to work. Uh and even in Minnesota they well phase 3 we're we're turning the slowly turning the dial up. Um, no, 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 we're going to phase four. Holy cow. Okay, four. It's slowly turning the dial up, but if you are working from home still and you can't, you still must. It's a must word in there. So what we're doing is we are conditioning people to live on uh, the interweb, a centralized oh, system. Phase three. You're right. Okay. Sorry. Phase Sorry, three. but I just know they're turning the dial up slow. That's all I know. Um, What's the top one? Five or ten? <laughs> Eleven. Sure. 11 <laughs> turn it up to turn it up to 11 <laughs> but but it's that idea and so we have Walmart and we have Amazon and those are the two places that we are supposed to now go find all of our stuff from used to be target until most of them got burned this out. is true yeah. right yeah. <laughs> but but as far as like in in a big scale those are the places so if we can herd all these citizens all the slaves, and I say that with no color in mind, because all of us, I mean, they want me and you, they want all of us to then have to be reliant on the system. So what happens if Amazon goes down? You know, the headache that happened when they took away their next day prime shipping, because we were prioritizing PPE. And so then it, it was weeks. I mean, I ordered stuff that took weeks to get that normally would take about 48 hours. And so what that did is it was a little bit of a, hey, by the way, we're in charge. Did, did you get trauma counseling for that? I need it. My goodness. That's why I do this show. <laughs> but it, it totally feels like it's a way to, uh, to centralize everything. And then the, when you can centralize it all, then you can really control people. Yeah. I, you know, I don't doubt it at all. Um, I, one thing that annoys me about uh, about Trump and other people, and I'm and I'm sure you've probably heard people um, <clears throat> complain about uh, General Mattis 
uh, he he uh, he posted a uh, you know a, a letter or whatever, <clears throat> kind of slamming Trump's uh, because Trump was discussing or talking about actually putting federal troops on, on the streets. You know, on the streets and people thought, Oh, the guy's a traitor and this and that, um, that, that, that really, uh, uh, scares me. What? Um, putting, Which part scares you? Uh, putting troops, federal troops on the streets. Uh, because I, I believe you're acclimating again, you're acclimating people to, certain things you you become um uh it, it's something it's some it's it's uh it's not a bridge too far anymore okay now it's no, i agree with you but i think the my perspective on the on how trump was wording that which he is kind of a buffoon when it comes to his words but my my take on how he was wording that is if you as governors aren't going to do something to protect your states, then I, as the president, have to take this into national security and do something over you. But how bad is it really? Uh, all right. How bad is what? Uh, the rioting, the demonstrations, all the rest of it. How, was it, in, how was it in Minneapolis before National Guard got deployed? Uh, well, is the National Guard taking care of it? The National Guard did take care of it. Okay, then what's the whole point about the federal, about because the Army to, coming in? Well, I think it was because up to that point, the National Guard had not been deployed. And I think there were, Democrat, there were some Democrat governors that were saying, no, we're not going to put the National Guard out there. And then that's when Trump came out and <clears> said, okay, well, governors, if you're not going to protect your people, then I need to. All right. Yeah. There, there is a thing called the Insurrection Act. Yes. That that exists in US federal law. Uh it empowers the President of the United States to deploy US military and federalize National Guard troops within the US in particular circumstances such as to suppress civil disorder, insurrection and rebellion. The act provides the major exception to the Posse Comitatus Act of 1878. Yeah which limits the use of military personnel under federal command for law enforcement purposes within the U.S. Yeah, before before you're... invoking the powers under the act, 10 U.S.C. 254 requires the president to firstly publish a proclamation ordering the insurgents to disperse. So I don't think he's out of line. Now, whether it's an appropriate use of the act, th that's probably up for debate. But... There's clearly depends, uh, uh, there's clearly power there. On, I, I think that clearly depends on how bad the civil unrest gets before the governors actually take control to protect their states. <laughs> all right, here's the purpose and con this is all from the Wikipedia, well, so it's totally you know what, though, true. Here's, well, here, let, 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 here's a good example, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna read the text of this because Wikipedia is the great source. The act empowers the U.S. president to call into service the U.S. Armed Forces and the National Guard when requested by a state's legislature or governor if the legislature cannot be convened to address an insurrection against that state or to address an insurrection in any state which makes it impractical 
to enforce the law or to address an insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combination, uh, okay, or conspiracy in any state which results in the deprivation of constitutionally secured rights and where the state is unable, fails, or refuses to protect said rights. All right, carry on. Well, it's that last one right there. If the state is unable, fails, or refuses to protect the rights. Yeah. So this issue, just like every other issue that's occurred in the last 10 years, has become so politicized that you had Democratic governors that were politicizing and a Republican president that was politicizing this issue. And the governors were saying, well, we're not going to we're not going to make a show of force out of this because that's a that's a contradiction to protesters and we need to let them have their voice. And then they start burning cities down. So I think Trump's point was simply, look, if you're not going to do something to protect your citizens and protect private property, then I'm going to. It's interesting. Uh, This says the Insurrection Act has been invoked throughout history. In the 19th century, it was invoked during conflicts with Native Americans. In In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, it was invoked during labor conflicts. And later in the 20th century, it was used to enforce federally mandated desegregation with President Dwight Eisenhower and John F. Kennedy invoking the act in opposition to the affected state's political leaders to enforce court-ordered desegregation. That's fascinating. Huh. So they've used it. They've used it to... uh, to force people together. And now we're looking at using it to, I don't know, to break them up. The, the issue that I have with it is that um, he comes out and I, threats are wrong word, but he's a blowhard. It, it, yes. Yes, he is. He, he totally is a blowhard. he, I mean, in my opinion, he doesn't bring people together at all. He divides people. And at times, it, I, you know, he's, he's been president for three years. So what, is, what should he do? Because I've heard that argument a lot against what he's doing. Oh, he's a divider. He didn't know how to unite oh, anyone. I totally so, is. So I, what, I mean, what should he be doing? Uh, and I don't know if he's capable of doing it. <laughs> And that's that's one of the that's one of the questions, and that is, um, how about you stop with the tweets? <laughs> how about how about you stop with the, the defensive? You know, he came out and started talking about how he did more for black rights than Obama, and and was, okay, maybe that's true. I'm not saying it's not true, but if you bring if. If if I walk around and I'm bragging to everybody about how how much better I am than everybody else, people are going to have an opinion about me, <laughs> and there's going to be some. Oh, yes, they do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so I mean, just just stuff like that. Um, it, it it's it's stunning. Now he's better than. The competition. What if his I mean, tweets you know, were not? What? What if they were less defensive? 
Could he continue? Less inflammatory or maybe yeah, a little yes. more educated. I mean, or... yeah, um, you, you don't have to insult people. You know, the interesting thing about Trump that I've noticed is he is not eloquent. He's not presidential. But he normally is pretty accurate with a lot of, like, some of the things that he has accused people of, it seems that most of them end up coming true. I, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it at all. So his presentation may suck. Absolutely. And when I say divisive, what I mean by that right. is that... I think Maxine um, Waters is divisive. Well, but there isn't anybody... It, it, She's not he's the president, like, though. He's like a Facebook argument. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, boy. Yep. That is a really yep. good analogy. So true. <laughs> That's our that that's is, our show title right there. That is a whole new level of <laughs> yes. right there. You are, he's writing it down. Look at that. Alan is writing it down. You are a Facebook argument. And so the only way that, that anybody is going to go from left to right is it, they're not, I don't, anyways, it's, it's difficult for me to see how, he is helpful in this type of environment if he keeps doing that sort of thing. All he would have to do, I mean, it, and it wouldn't be hard, is just not say something occasionally or just um, not, you know, temper your insults and, and the rest of it. Do you think the news but media it, would not be okay that? with if he didn't have something to say? They would freak out. Well, he's not talking enough. Oh, how come he, we don't, when Bush came Actually, out. Actually, oh, that Bush. happened during like two days of the Floyd thing. He kind of went silent. And they and freaked out. Yeah. Well, how come he's not talking yeah. anymore? Well, what do you want? David, you can't have it both ways. Saying, how is what you're saying much different than, and, and I'm only speaking as a Minnesotan right now. How is that much different than Governor Waltz and Mayor um, Fry using the term murder and murderer within 12 hours of what occurred and instigating the rioting or assisting to instigate. Oh, I think that's horrible. Yeah. I mean, but is that not any different? Maybe they said it a little bit more eloquently, but is it not the same? Um, I mean, cause it was inflammatory. Yeah, sure. Sure. Interestingly, Again, on the wiki, the last time the um, Insurrection Act was enacted was with President Bush at the Rodney King riots. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, Interesting. According to the wiki. Truth and wiki, truth. Wiki, wiki, wiki. Truth wiki, on the wiki, web. Wiki, wiki, oh, wiki. that's probably not appropriate. I'm oh, sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can, we might as well quit. Just shut up. Quit talking. Oh, my word. Top of drudge right now. The National Guard in Washington, D.C. are told not to carry guns or ammunition by Defense yeah. Secretary Mark Esper mm -hmm. as he orders up. all active duty troops out of the Capitol. What? Mm. The Pentagon, let's see. The Pentagon was told Washington, D.C.'s National Guard uh, and guardsmen from other states who have... who who have are in the nation's capital not to use guns or ammunition. The order came from sec def def sec Mark Esper and made without consulting the white house. The Washington post reported, and it's seen as a sign of de-escalation of the federal response to protests that sprung up in the wake of George Floyd's death. 
Trump has pushed for a strong militarized force, show of force, calling him the law and order president and earning him criticism from several retired military generals, including his former chief of staff, John Kelly, and former defense secretary, Jim Mattis. Mad Dog. So, is this the French Revolution? Uh, Are we going to bust out the guillotine next? Nah, I don't think so. Here you go. Do you hear what Mark Levin said? Mark Levin, the great one, yes? He said, due to systematic racism in law enforcement and the disbanding of the police in our cities, I suggest we pull all security protection from Biden, Obama, Bush, Pelosi, and Schumer for their own sake. I also suggest we pull Capitol Police from Congress. Can't trust those cops with our precious representatives either. While we're at it, let's yank protection from the Supreme Court. What about Ooh. Lori Lightfoot? What about and, gold one-term on, wa- one-term on walls? Keyboard. One-term walls. How about old Mayor Fry, Babyface Fry? Every governor, every mayor. Of Absolutely. Every city. Absolutely. If that's what no, that's not what we want. But if that's what they want, they should lose a just like in this uh, pan panicdemic. Uh, they're ripping, shutting businesses down. They should have lost their income as well. A panic demic. Hmm? Agreed. Totally. But then, you know, they've never had to live under the laws they passed, so why Correct. start now, you know? Yeah. Uh, did I you don't see- know what the solution is. The, there is a... Um, I mean, we can talk about systematic racism, blood, blood, blood bias, but the reality is there is a systematic designed degradation of society as we know it to break apart the family unit, organized society um, that has been going on for decades. And it is just, it seems to be happening quicker now simply because information can be disseminated faster. Well, yeah. If the heavens ever did speak, she's the last true mouthpiece. Every Sunday's getting more bleak, fresh poison each week. We were born sick, you heard them say it. My church offers no absolutes. She tells me worship in the bedroom. The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well. So let's talk about church in the wake of this pandemic. And are we allowed to uh, meet? Should we? Is there a, a mandate that we have in the First Amendment that we must be allowed to be in our buildings? Jay and I talked about this on the phone earlier today. Uh, it's been something that I've been 
in the in a conversation with for a while. In the peanut gallery, and I talked the other night for a while about it as well. What do we do uh, as a church and the typical traditional church meetings that we hold? American, um, uh, American, oh, exactly. That's yes. what I mean. Yeah, uh, our. Uh, what do we do when the government says nobody can meet or shouldn't? Here in South Dakota, we've never been banned from it. They've just advised against it. I have a question, Mm -hmm. and that is, or not a question, but uh, the first thing I would say is um, the way the American uh, Church Universal does church predominantly, first of all, is that biblical? That's a great question. That's what we talked about. That's exactly the point. Because if it's not biblical, then there's no mandate that says that you, or that there's nothing that says that you're doing something wrong if you don't meet that way. Now, I talked to uh, a pastor earlier today in Oregon, and um, he is in uh, has been kind of involved a little bit in the lawsuit that came out of California that just got. Uh, Push back to the Ninth Circuit from the Supreme Court, uh, pushing back against the uh, Governor Newsom's rule again, man, ban on churches meeting um, over a certain amount of number. And is he it, said, is it a "Ban on churches, or is it a ban on gatherings?" Well, it was a ban on gatherings, but um, the stipulation was you could be at twenty-five percent capacity or one hundred people, whichever was greater. And when you talk some of these bigger churches that have multiple thousands, to tell them you are now limited to 100 people. When at Walmart, they don't have no, a clicker at the door. was lesser than. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, sorry. So 100 yeah, max or 25% if that's lower than if you had If you had church membership of 10,000 people, that's 2,500 people. So yeah, so you get 100. 100 people, 100 people no matter what. Exactly. So his thing, his position was that constitutes a, a more of a discrimination and a, and a, then, um, I would agree than just yeah. saying across the board. Now, yeah. if they just said a percentage, well, wait a maybe wait, 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 because now if we're talking California, California, that's a big deal because now you're talking every conference that occurs in California which they happen all the time in the Silicon Valley, and you're talking thousands of people. Every weekend there is a conference. You've got every professional sport, every semi-professional sport. All of those are huge money makers throughout the Bay Area and LA County, San Diego County. So that is not just, you have to be somewhat at least understanding that that is way more than just churches. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it is way more than just churches. But did, now, is it only a hundred in a church? But the other places, it's twenty-five percent of capacity. Well, it was. Um, ooh, I, I I don't know because that. if they I said don't know it's twenty-five percent of oh capacity. yeah, churches were listed separately. Then I agree. That's that's wrong. Um. But but the real issue, or, or the real question at hand, is what is the church's response? Should the response be, forget it, 
we're doing what we want? Or should it be uh, one of caution where we... Um, well, the church isn't monolithic, so it's hard to say, you know, what is the church. But, uh, you know, what you're, what you're saying is what, what should the, the average church, how should the average church respond when a governor says that you can't do services like you've always done right. them? I think it, um, it appears as though... It appears as though the 100 attendee limit was only, okay, so the way that this is written, I can see why it went to court. So churches were listed separately because sporting events, sporting events were also listed separately that sporting events could not open. Um, and conferences, it doesn't say conferences, but it does say that Religious services were given an exception to open at 25% or up to 100 attendees. So it seems to me that they were actually trying to do something good by giving an exception to churches to, to meet because other gatherings still were not given a green light, but churches were, but they limit it to 25% or 100 attendees, whichever is lower. But sporting events still could not open. A sharply divided Supreme Court on Friday rejected a challenge to California's limits on large church gatherings during the COVID-19 pandemic, dismissing an appeal brought by a San Diego area church that argued state rules infringed on its religious freedom. The justices, by five to four votes, said California could enforce its rules, at least for now. Chief Justice Roberts joined the court's four liberal justices in upholding the state's rules. Quote, the precise question of when restrictions on particular social activities should be lifted during the pandemic is a dynamic and fact-intensive matter subject to reasonable disagreement. Our Constitution principally entrusts the safety and the health of the people to the politically accountable officials of the states to guard and protect, Roberts wrote. Um... Justice Kavanaugh wrote a dissent joined by Justices Thomas and Gorsuch. Quote, California's latest safety guidelines discriminate against places of worship and in favor of comparable secular businesses. Such discrimination violates the First Amendment, he wrote. Okay. California I... already trusts its residents and any number of businesses to adhere to proper social distancing and hygiene practices, he said. The state cannot assume the worst when people go to worship, but assume the best when people go to work or go to the rest of their daily lives in permitted social settings. Who's speaking right now? Brett Kavanaugh. Oh. So that was the dissenting argument. Well, here's my challenge with the argument. And of course, I'm not privy to all of the information he is. And so, hold, hold on. Do you think we could ring up the, the justice and see if we can get on the line? Sure. Let's. Yeah. Okay. You. Yeah, me too. Okay. Um, the. Uh, so <laughs> see what you did there. <laughs> you see that. Yeah. Um, so California is in their stage two of reopening, and stage two allows for retail, manufacturing, offices when telework is not possible, outdoor museums, and limited personal services. 
and then they allowed as an exception religious places of worship at 25% or 100 people, whichever was lesser. So churches were actually given a positive discrimination and given more flexibility than other locations, but the limit was placed on them up to 100 people, whereas a typical gathering or a conference could not get together still, nor could indoor workplaces but I think his his point was um, that when people go through their life to work or other places, um, they can go go to places where more than a hundred people are allowed. And we it. assume they're going to do the right thing. And they're going to assume so. Like if you go to Walmart <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's more than a hundred people that are allowed in there, that's fine. Or Costco or whatever. But if you go to church, you can't do that. But but see, I, I think no, well well, but I'm I not think disagreeing with that, David, at all. But the argument is that churches were specifically discriminated against, and that's the piece that I would disagree because there's a whole slew of issues that are a whole slew of businesses or or events well, that are being discriminated to, to me, against. But but I, I think that we're missing one foundational principle here. Restaurants, businesses uh, factories, grocery stores, those are not specified in the constitution. The yeah. freedom of to religion is. And so it seems to me that, that that one piece, now we could argue what freedom of religion means, but to, to say that, but, but, but to, to exercise free exercise of, I guess. Okay. So then um, that would be the practice, how you exercise it. Okay. Yeah. So so I, I think it's difficult to say, well, the all these other businesses, they didn't get as much of freedom uh, as the church, but the church still has some rules on it. Because the First Amendment tends to say no, no restriction. Okay, yeah. So fair. so to me, to me, that would be the uh, a reason that that could be a different Here, argument. Yeah, that's a good point. Here's one of the issues that I see potentially coming up in the future, and that is uh, 1,200 public health experts, epidemiologists, and whatnot <laughs> signed a letter, um, and it was in, in support of the protesters because, according to the letter, it said that white supremacy is a lethal public health issue that predates and contributes to COVID-19. So that so supersedes have, the COVID rules? Yes, that would. <laughs> wow. that it's it's okay to do that because white supremacy uh, is a public health issue. So here, follow me. I mean, it seems logical. If <laughs> I'm you, not following you on that one, <laughs> if 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 a state can shut down um, uh, churches for public health reasons because of a disease. At what point are they they shut down free speech? Well, are they going to shut down churches because of some defined white supremacy? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Teaching. Because it becomes a public health issue because they're teaching white supremacy. Uh, Or Jeremiah Wright teaching the opposite of that. It's a one way street. Oh, I forgot. Never mind. And and my, I don't think they'll ever do this necessarily, 
Well, but, but did we think they would ever do what they're doing? Okay. Well, so let's 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 go back to your question because your question was a little bit different. I think was your question whether it's constitutional? Because no, okay, no, I, I know agree. it's not constitutional. Wait, the, but the I'm church question. That, yeah. Well, is that really the question you're getting at? Is whether it's constitutional to ban the church from getting together? No. That oh, him. The, question. The Alan? original one with the uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think that he believes it's constitutional, and four out of the nine don't believe it's constitutional. Four out of five, Dennis would agree. Yeah. It's usually nine out of ten, but okay. I'm just saying that we're, we're having this discussion where they're shutting down churches for because of the, uh, mm-hmm. the effect on public health. And if you have and 1,200 people, 1,200 public health officials. Now, it's 33 million, 330 million people in the U.S., so 1,200 isn't a lot. But seriously, 1,200, and uh, some of them are Dr. Aisha Appa, Infectious Diseases Chief Fellow at University of California, San Francisco, um, another doctor is an instructor of medicine at University of, of Chicago, another doctor or a pediatric infectious disease specialist, one from Harvard. And yes, I mean, they're all, yeah, you know, when it comes to, to this sort of stuff, lunatics. But, <laughs> uh, well, I... uh, but you know, I mean, <laughs> in... you're going to find <laughs> right. a lot. In this letter that is in a in the article you sent, it said uh, the letter also says that face masks should be celebrated and not seen as an easy way for criminals and looters to hide their identity. <laughs> and let's disband the police. So, so I guess I have a legitimate question. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any point in um, dialogue anymore? Uh, no, because just like dialogue I about what? This, the, this this sort of stuff. Yeah, there isn't because we're being told that because I'm white, um, I it's my job to shut up and I need to start looking at color first. I have to see color and I have to judge someone based on the color of their skin, not Rather the content of their character. character. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was the entire point of the podcast I did yesterday. But I have this um this photographer person that I follow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's he's a um a very um, successful photographer in the music industry. This was his Instagram post from a couple days ago, Tuesday. Uh, hey, photo community. Y'all help me run with, it with an idea. He's a white guy. Let's launch hashtag BLM protest portraits and make it a thing. Let's photograph our black friends and community and amplify their voices through art. Photograph them in person, virtually, FaceTime, or their front porch, in your studio, across the street, whatever works. But let the portrait and caption be their megaphone. Just use the hashtag, hashtag BLM portraits, protest portraits. I'm going to start opening my studio to my black friends here in Franklin, Tennessee, the portraits are free, of course, because I, I don't know if the assumption is that they won't be able to pay for it. I don't know. But the open slots are limited. Uh, if you want in, just email me at this address and we'll get you uh, a link to sign up. Who's in? Who can commit to doing some portraits with me? I cannot imagine for a second 
going up to someone on the street. Oh, I noticed that you're black. Would you come in so I could take your picture for free? This is ludicrous. How is this anything other than segregation? And virtue signaling. Yes. And- but it, but but we're being told by the the black community as well that you can't you you must only support black businesses you must only support black artists you must only support uh, black creatives you can't support anyone else you have to support people with darker skin than you because you're a racist. I think you need to start identifying as a different race. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know, but Bad. something other than white guy with a goatee. <clears throat> I, I know I, um, it wasn't my fault. I lost my hair. On, didn't uh, lose it. Well, <laughs> on Yahoo, uh, let's see the um, there was a bill introduced in 1989 by John Conyers and the House Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights, and Civil Liberties held uh, a hearing on it. And I guess they decided that for repar- uh, reparations would cost about $17 trillion. To which group? Uh, blacks. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if it would stop the dialogue, I would think that would be really good money, money well spent. But would it stop the dialogue? Well, you would. it would have to. And if, if you gave the money, you would say, in a sense, like in a court of law. So you're paying them off? Yeah, pay them off. And uh, <laughs> Is this like weird reparations? That, but wait, did that work with the Native American community, though? Um, well, that was, you know, a long time ago. We're talking now. <laughs> okay. And uh, it, oh, now, wait a minute, let's, totally hold on. let's, let's run with this for a minute because do reparation, would reparations go to black people or would reparations go to descendants of slaves? It would be 12.9 million uh, unpaid slave wages. What was the percentage? Um, let's see. What's that? I don't think so. Uh, there's a podcast called Mo Facts with Adam Curry you should listen to. It's Adam Curry and a black guy, which is hilarious to think about. But they talk about a lot of this stuff, and they talked about on the last show um, the idea that you can you can be considered uh, for reparations like this. I cannot remember the actual percentage of blackness. It's just like the way Native Americans, you have so much percentage yeah. of blood uh, of Native American descent, you get all the stuff. Oh, the, David, there David, is the David, idea. Uh, David's ears just went up. Right. There's no wonder David's singing. David, what do you like? One, windfall, windfall, come. Do you like one sixty fourth or something, David? Yes. Oh, no, or less. I don't know. Hey, more than Pocahontas, you're fine. I mean, I mean Elizabeth Warren. Shoot, I'm just quoting the president. Just not necessarily a good idea. Yeah. Uh, probably not. <laughs> I was trying to, you know, pay off my house. So I don't think. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Yeah, I don't think that that is. um, I think at this point, if that was introduced as an idea, and entertained as a realistic idea, I think the idea would then immediately become insulting and less novel. 
then the idea would be, oh, you're trying to buy us instead of fix the problem. You think you can just pay for us because you're white, rich people. Yeah. Yeah. And the answer would be, you bet. Uh, so you're going to take the check or not? <laughs> <laughs> would you like that in check, debit card, or Bit- Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin. Speaking of insanity, uh, on a side note, uh, I've started following a, a YouTube channel called Producer Michael. It's uh, the music producer, Michael Blakely. Um, He is, he lives an opulent lifestyle, shall we say, but he likes nice things. And he has a pretty fascinating YouTube channel that they dig around and they go through um, the luxury investment watch world. I didn't know that existed to that extent. The watch world? The the luxury investment watch world. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. So Holy cow. Now. In watches? Oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. I mean, yeah. some of these are half a million dollars a piece, million dollars, four million, depending on what they are. It's an investment. Totally. Yes. I mean, you use it. His, yes. his thing is, you buy a home, an inve- a home, it's an investment, you live in it, over time it gains value. Same thing. You buy one of these watches, you invest in it, use it, there are, it gains value. There are people that have watch rooms, just oh, yeah. like people that have yeah. wine rooms. Yep. Or cigar rooms. They are temperature, humidity controlled, and inside of the room, the watches sit on top of tilters. Have you seen these? Well, some, yeah, They're the ones that have the, the movement that keeps them wound, yeah. Yes. Hmm? Now, his, though, he said his insurance company won't let him keep his at home. He must keep his collection at a, at a bank <laughs> for okay. insurance purposes. Anyway... He was in a jewelry store in one of the last videos I watched uh, yesterday, actually. Oh, was he a black guy? No. No? He's, he's, okay. he's he got a British accent, so he's intelligent. <laughs> Does that mean um, you can't be black and no, British? What no, the heck was that? No, no, he's not American, is what I'm saying. Hey, there's a question. Do these, racist, do these racism issues occur the same way in England? <laughs> uh, well, they're protesting around the world, so they must. Well, that doesn't... Okay, never mind. Continue on with the watch story. I was just curious if the issues actually originate. Because they can be protesting what's happening in America. That oh, doesn't they mean are, right. Actually they happening. are, yeah. They are. They're wearing masks as well. It does happen fine. in England. Yes. Okay. Yep. Carry on with the watch thing. Uh, anyway, he was in a jewelry store, and his goal was to bring out $300 million of jewels to show. They did that on three trays on the counter. And this tray that was $100 million had, I think, maybe 10 or 12 pieces of jewelry on it. $100 million. Sure. How many pieces of jewelry? Uh, on one tray, about, about, I think, 10. 10 or 11 was on that one. I mean, there was a diamond on there that was $18 million. And it's nuts because, I mean, it's fake money at that point for a, a piece of jewelry, it seems like. Uh, it seems like you're correct. And this is <laughs> the wild part is the way these people talk about it. It's like, oh, yeah. And then he's like, oh, we have some very reasonable jewelry, too, in here. We got some. There's a uh, watch company called Jacob and Jacob and Co. It's based out of New York, I think. Um, High end boutique watches. And I mean, it, it, I would love to touch one just because I, I want to see what they what they feel like. But anyway, um, there he's talking. He bought a five hundred and sixty thousand dollar watch, and then the guy brings out another one. He said, "Oh, here's one of the inexpensive ones, hundred twenty grand. It's an inexpensive one." 
I didn't realize that that market existed to the extent it did. I mean, I, I know, but I mean, I want, I have my eyes on a watch that I thought was a big deal. It's like five grand. Not going to buy it, but I want it. That's nothing. That's like garbage compared to these things. That's like the Yugo of the collector's watch <laughs> yes, world. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. You got a nice Toyota there. <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway. Yeah. That's a different world. It is a different world. It's fascinating though. Uh Oh, the reason I thought of that <laughs> now that you mention it was in the corner of the jewelry store where they had these, you probably got a billion dollars worth of jewelry in that store. And it's not much bigger than um, my front room here at the studio. In the corner was a Bitcoin sign. <laughs> so, because I, I was thinking, how do you make that transaction? What does that look like? Like if I'm going to come buy an $18 million piece of jewelry, what is that financial transaction? That's several days worth of daily limits on my debit card. <laughs> Just several. <laughs> right. I, I would have to I would have to lift the daily limit on my debit card for that one. So um But yeah, producer I, Michael on Instagram or on YouTube if you're interested. It's fascinating. I mean, do they have like like brochures there for their credit card or I, I don't know. I mean, how do you, uh, if obviously, you have to ask if you have to ask, you do you not cannot afford it. It's interesting. Cause there was one piece of jewelry. The guy said, um, was it two earrings? I think. And he's, <laughs> he said the price is on, uh, on request. He would not say the price of those because they apparently are so rare and so big. The color of these diamonds, they're huge and they were a bright yellow. And I guess they're just extremely rare. And he he wouldn't give the price. He said that's a that's a price on request. Is that kind of one of those like uh, if you go to the right restaurant, the price of the steak changes based Probably. off of the price of beef for that day? Very likely. But I'm just totally in, intrigued with the whole idea. Not my world. No, mine either. <laughs> Did you guys uh, see Charlemagne the God, his oh. his interview with Rush Limbaugh? No. No. It was interesting. Because he, uh, he had Biden on, and Biden said, if you don't know the reason you'd vote for me over Trump, you ain't black. Oh, okay. Because that, that sounded like an SNL skit. Uh, what? Charlemagne uh, the God? Yeah, with... Uh, being interviewed by Rush Limbaugh. Oh, Just, yeah, nice. that is that, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that, that actually that could be an SNL. Skit. Yeah, I know fact, exactly. Tonight we should watch because it probably will be an uh, SNL. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> that's true. It was last Sunday. Hmm. Oh, so um, uh, to backtrack a little bit uh, about the church. At yes, this time, uh, we kind of. The question was raised, and then it just it, 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 it went well, somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so my whole thing is, what is the appropriate response from, we'll put it in quotes, the church in America right now? Do we, they, it, whatever it is, disregard the guidelines in the community and say, we're open, you guys do uh, attend at your own risk? Should there be some sort of... Uh, Guidelines, limitations put in place. 
What do you think? Uh, I, I mean, you're asking what the church's response should be. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, I, I personally have an issue with a lot of churches, <laughs> the vast majority in the sense that, and I, you know, I'm not, it's just, um, paying somebody a lot of money to give a performance on Sunday morning and uh, having this large building with a bunch of stuff in it so that you can ask people to come to it and then potentially be impressed by it. And by them being impressed, they will listen to the message and follow the message. That I would like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I think for some people listening to this, we should at least state that all three of us, or I would include the peanut gallery, all four of us have a very direct relationship with God. And we, I know at least David and Alan and I, the three of us have some different foundations that we stand on, but we do have very direct, and I don't, I don't know, I would assume, and this is probably a bad assumption uh, or maybe an unfair assumption, but I assume Peanut Gallery and Alan align similarly, but that may not be the case. But anyway, my point is, I don't think any of the three of us are against uh, or, or would say that um, uh, we do not believe in God or have a relationship with God. I think all three of us would say the opposite of that. So any of this opinion about how the church should respond is not because we are against God or even indifferent or lukewarm to God. Yep. Does that make sense? Agreed. Well, I say that because your response, David, sounded like a, something an atheist would say, or somebody that just doesn't go to church. I have yes. a problem with I have a problem with churches, and I think that they're just money hungry. I I, I appreciate. I, no, I I appreciate that. And, um, and I would I would like to contend anybody listening that doesn't know you personally, if yep. they got to know you, which none of them do. It's fine. Very, yeah, <laughs> very deep. <laughs> conviction and deep strong faith with God so that's not the yeah issue. so I appreciate that um the the issue that I have with with it with American Christianity the way they do it is that it's exceedingly easy to become where one of your high priorities is ensuring that enough money comes into the into the uh uh, the offering plate yep. in order to keep the lights on, to pay the utilities, to pay, you know, all the things that, that are being paid. And so the issue that I have with all that stuff is that it's, it seems to me that it would be a very difficult to have a pure motive regardless of what you do, because you have a vested interest to get as many people in that door every week. And if people don't show up, they're more they're less likely to give which means you're more likely to have a, a hole in the budget and everything else and and for for me 
ultimately, I think Jesus said it. Well, I know he said it multiple times, but, you know, we're going to be judged on our motives, not because our actions flow out of our motives. It's not the other way around. And um, so anything that the church says about this is, um, uh, is problematic if, if you make a just um, what should the church do? kind of statement well so your thought is the church the church shouldn't go down the road of of claiming the need the constitutional right to be back because it's tempered with we need to be back so we can make money i well i think i think and if so uh, is that bad for churches to primarily be focused about making money to primarily right That, that that's probably bad but there's a reality. If you have a uh, infrastructure, you must you got to maintain it. So is True. it bad to yeah. to make some decisions that might help that happen? Oh no, I no, I don't, I don't think that's bad. I'm not saying that it's bad. Yeah, but that's fixing the flu with a Kleenex, though. Again, Alan, if the if the the members of the congregation, if their loyalty to the church that they attend is only as deep as how often they attend on a Sunday and they're not supporting the needs of the infrastructure in the absence of being able to attend, then that says something to me that says something about the um, discipleship that is occurring at that church. Totally agree. And And I I think that's a really good point. And that if if you're going to if you're going to push push that, uh, so one thing that you have to do is do look at the people in your church and ask yourself: Is this even something that is going to be good? I mean, if you have a church with a lot of older older people, do we want all these older people to come to church and but the, sit right next? Yeah, to each yeah. Other? But the argument that that is heard when you say that is: We're not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live in fear, and they shouldn't live in fear because God tells us not to live in fear. Well, but then the but then the response. I think this comes down to what is the motive of the church? What is the goal of the church? And if the goal of the church or one of the no, not motive or goal, the mission, the value, the mission. One of the, yeah, the value. Yes, if one of the values of the church is to serve the community and to be a light of hope to the community then the church should serve the community. And in a time of declared pandemic, in a time of famine, that would be helping to feed the people of community. In a time of declared pandemic, that would be going out of your way to create as much safety as is perceived. So if that means that the church needs to go on a physical hiatus and embrace alternative methods of worship, whether that's seance, things like that, seance, things like that. There's a church up here (laughs) that every Sunday, the pastor, they have a a hay wagon and they'll stand on the hay wagon and people drive in with their cars. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, you could could have drive drive in church. Uh, You could have, I mean, there, there, Churches can take all of the chairs and put them into the parking lot and put the chairs 10 feet apart and go back to the old Baptist revival days. 
I mean, we didn't always, I, I mean, we didn't always have air conditioning. So you could still have people show up 10, 12 feet apart in the parking lot and still have church. You know, it, I guess you'd have to have enough parking lot space. Um, but then but, you'd also have to have the, the discussion that if, if the church decides, no, we're all going to come into the building, you have to have that discussion that um, people here might get sick. People here might die. And when the community looks at, at this church, if God allows that to happen, what is your what are you going to say to the community? And, and I think it goes even a step further that if somebody in this church infects another person at this church and takes that to the community, does the church become the black eye of the community? Because one of the first outbreaks in South Korea was this, I mean, it's kind of a quasi cult, but I mean, it was a cult, but it was a religious service. Everybody got it in this one religious service. Um, so, and then that becomes a bad uh, black mark. So you, you have to talk about it. You have to, you have to have um, a dialogue with it. And then you also have to, if you're like, we're fine with that mm -hmm. because Ultimately, all of us are have a death sentence. All of us are going to die. And if now is the time we die and we're doing this to honor God and we're going to church and we're trying to reach other people and it happens, it happens. Okay, then we will, we will like, like Job, though he kill me, uh, yet I will praise him. And if, if that is the attitude, then fine. That, but the concern that I have is that too many churches, and I'm, I'm a cynical person when it comes to stuff like this, too many churches put um, utilita uh, utilitarian viewpoints ahead of everything else. And it's about how to maximize people coming into church and the amount of money that you make. And it is, you know, you want to read. So I, you know, I, I'm sure that people want, want to reach out to others i i mean in terms of uh, uh, many of the pastors but it just it i just have this thing about um uh, when people go into the ministry and it becomes a career rather than a calling and so i think like politics could, i think this could be utilized as an opportunity for churches to um, rebrand and redefine themselves and move back into small groups, home churches, um, more of a community worship format, um, at least for the time being. Um, but I don't know. I, I, get, I think it depends on how you frame it. You can definitely spend your time fighting for what your right is under the Constitution, and you would be legally accurate. But is that getting the message across to your community of the loving place that you are trying to fill as a whole in the community? Well, and that's the thing that I wonder in all of this. What is the proper role of a church gathering on Sunday? What is the purpose? What's the reason we do it? What are the benefits that in America we've decided that Sunday morning, unless you're Seventh-day Adventist, Sunday morning, you go to church or in sometimes Sunday night, and you get together and you have a formatted service, which typically looks like some music, some people talking about what's going on in the week, and rah-rah, an offering time, so and then a message. A lit liturgy. It is a liturgy, even though there isn't a liturgy. Yeah. It yeah. So 
So what like, is the, like, what is the, what is the value of that and why, and is it, is there such a value, such a high value to that, that we must against the, the better judgment of our societal leaders, let's say we must get back together to that no matter what. I mean, is, is there something that I'm missing that makes that hour to two hour meeting the thing that we absolutely must have in place or else we are um, being controlled and we are being told by the government what not to do? I don't think so. I, I, my answer is going to be somewhat cynical. I, I, think, I, I think that depending on the church, I don't think the motive is pure. I think that your church is either A, the motive of that is to collect their offering for the week to pay for the, th- the stuff that runs the building and the salaries. B, the motive is this is how um, this is how we have been trained as an American corporate worship to check the box on our God card every week. And without going to church, the God card isn't getting checked. And that's the depth of belief and corporate salvation. I mean, really, that goes all the way back to Roman Catholic of you yeah. corporate salvation. The, the purpose of church every week and attending um, confirmation and attending, um, uh, what is it called when you see the priest in the little booth? Confession. Um, confession. Confession. Jeez Louise. <laughs> When you, when you go to confession, that's corporate salvation. So if you can't go do that, you're not corporately saved. Well, that has, even though your, your non-Catholic religions don't adhere to that belief, they still adhere to the tradition of corporate worship and corporate salvation as a tradition. It's, it's a weekly God checkbox. So, I, I mean, I... I can't say that I disagree, disagree with it. Um, uh, well, so, and- so, well, David, you um, used to be in the, the, the pastoral positions yep. over different times of your life. What is yep. the biblical model for the way the American church does church? Is there one? Well, <laughs> There, there's nothing biblically that says that you shouldn't do it the way that uh, the most American churches do it. That being said, you look at Acts and see what happened in Acts, and different things happen at different times depending upon the amount of of persecution and. Um, but people would meet together, and there would be, uh, you know, the breaking of bread, communion, uh, celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins. There would be, you know, pe- there would be teaching, there would be prayer, there would be singing of hymns. So all that's that's what churches would do, but it wouldn't necessarily um, be in a highly structured way it wouldn't necessarily be a bunch of people doing it together you know um so the the way they the way they do it now i mean there's there's a huge cultural expectation that that's it seems to me that that is the way you do it 
Um, because in evangelical churches where people believe in a personal relationship through uh, by faith in Jesus Christ, uh, most of the people, um, at least out here in the middle of nowhere, uh, <laughs> were you know were raised Lutheran or Catholic or maybe Methodist, which has a more of a high church function, which with the liturgy and the rest of it. So that's they grew up with that being church, and so this is a mirror of that in a sense. And so you're going to have people that are going to be expecting this and it's comfortable to them and that's the way they like it and, and whatnot. The problem is, is that if a church just continually perpetuates that model, what happens when there's persecution? What happens when there's a pandemic? You know, um, in order for me to be fed, I have to go to church yeah. or right. yes, yes, feed yourself you know, and meet with other peoples to encourage one another. Well, and I think it has to come down to the asking and answering the question of what is the purpose of that one hour meeting? What's and the goal? You, I agree. I agree, Alan. But do you think, David, that churches as a whole do a good job of training its attendees on how to worship on their own? No, I think the majority, there's so many churches that when you come to it, you know, the, in in my opinion, and I believe this is true biblically, that church services were meant for believers, not for unbelievers. It was yeah. to teach and to train and to encourage and for you to go out and meet other people and interact with them. And if you get an opportunity, tell them about Jesus and what he has done. Um, and we've, we've given the minute you pay a, a, a pastor, now that's his job. And all I have to do is get the, get the goats into the door and then maybe they'll come out as sheep, you know, rather than uh, my job is, is to, to be a reflection of Jesus in, to other people and if God wills it, he will draw them to himself. So, um, but I think that too many times you have messages that are fluffy and too, they're like um, camp, camp messages rather than teaching and training people on, on you know, you know, there's, there's one thing that you said earlier, David, that I want to ask a clarifying question and just get your opinion. You said that you don't think, uh, and I don't want to misquote you, so I'm, I'm take it as a paraphrase, but I, I believe you said something to the effect of there isn't anything biblically that is against um, the way churches conduct business today. Did you say something similar to that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. and, and, and what I mean by that is coming together, having a pastor, even paying a pastor. Okay. Um, uh, so the only contentious point that I have to that, and I, 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 I'm going to in general agree with what you're saying, because in concept, I think I agree. But I think where the challenge does lay, and this was something I was explaining to, to Alan earlier, is that I think the what... Jesus did teach against that 
there I do think is somewhat problematic in corporate churches, and at least in America that I'm aware of, is the traditions of the church have become equal to or greater than the ordinances of God. Oh, I, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And I think that was something that Jesus directly argued with the Pharisees about. It wasn't that it wasn't their belief in God. It was that their traditions and how they were bearing those traditions down on the people as equal to or greater than the ordinances of God. But I, I think also, you know, Paul said in, motive, in, motive, in, I guess would be the point yeah. that you made earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And, so if you're if you're doing something, it might be a tradition, but if it's not, you know, explicitly condemned in the Bible, then that's between you and God. And if yeah, absolutely. But if the tradition, like the washing of hands, why don't yes. your disciples wash your hands as our tradition yeah. says? Okay, well yeah. that's not the tradition had become more important than. Yeah. than the relationship with God or the healing of somebody on a Sabbath was forbidden in tradition. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. Did we answer your question? Well, I and, wanted a discussion. So yeah, I think so. Okay. And what is your take on it, Alan? Well, I think that, I mean, in, in the, society we're in currently where we are being encouraged to uh, not physically be close to people and not put ourselves in a room and breathe out heavily. Um, I think that it tends to make sense to err on the side of caution, thinking that, you know, and... To come back under limited capacity, like to open up a church and say, yep, you can all, you can come in, but we can only put 35 of you here. Um, who gets those seats? How do you determine who is allowed in and who isn't? Right. Um, do you just set up a four, lottery? Just have, four, just have four services. If you can have 25%, do four services. Well, and people have done that, but, but then you got to consider the volunteers that have to manage that. So, the, I mean, there are logistical issues that have to be considered, but... If we can, if we're only supposed to run at a limited capacity, I believe we have to establish, um, we have to decide what the value is, who benefits from that, what's the reason we need to do it, and what, and and then what's the ben, what's the negative? Like, is there an actual downside of not? Like, are there people that are dying because they can't see someone on a regular basis? That's a real question. We need to figure that out. And if they are. Is coming back together for an hour in a limited capacity going to fix the problem? Because there's a good chance it won't, but it might. And so I think we need to have that conversation. But what I've run into a little bit is the inability to want to have the conversation unless the answer becomes, yep, we're not living in fear and we have to just, um, we're not going to let the government tell us what to do. And and I think that, I mean... I, or, you pivot the, or you pivot the value of the church, or maybe not the value, you pivot the purpose of the church during the circumstance to serve the community in a different role. If you, if you pivot that and you, and you support the community differently than holding your couple hour service on a Sunday and you pivot 
and change your structure to mm -hmm. serve the community as a place that the community can look to as, wow, they really served us in a time of need. They really did something. So instead of spending their time on Sunday meeting and fighting the man, they mm -hmm. went out to the community and helped clean up businesses and they went out to the community and helped do this to get people ready. I mean, there is a different way to actually serve God while serving your community. That doesn't mean sitting butt to butt in a pew. Right. And also, I mean, you have things like Zoom and, uh, you know, other uh, technology and most people have smartphones, not everybody. And so is there any way to do a mass meeting with people if for worship, for a message, or to um, have a time of worship that you can log in real time, you know, and I know. I, I, will, I will tell you that because of this and because of some of the worship communities that I would listen to their podcasts occasionally, I have attended more frequent um, services over video than I would have had the capacity to attend physically in the past. Right. Yep. You know, I mean, I can attend services in Hudson, Wisconsin right now because it's being held on video where I couldn't drive into Hudson every week. I talked to a, a lady from the church I go to a couple, that's uh, probably about a week ago now. Just on the street, just on the street real quick. <clears throat> and uh, the question was, um, when are we going to get back? You know, what's what's going on? When are we going to get back? We need to get back in there. And, you know, my, uh, I, my, my question was, yeah, but how? Because when we're being told or being suggested that we we shouldn't do this, how do we do it? How do we outreach to people? I mean, can can we invite a new family into our church right now when we don't have any way for their children. You know, we don't have kids ministry. And again, to me, this all brings into question, why do we do all these things anyway? And what's the value yeah. of them? And if, if we have, if the value is absolutely, we must do it because the X, Y, and Z, then you bet, let's make it happen. But if we can't have the conversation about what the value is, Right, because it yep. goes against my tradition. So I, we just have to get back in the building. I don't know why we just have to do it. Yep. I, you know, I have a hard time with that. A, if we take a look at the example that David gave in bringing out the Book of Acts, the entire Yeshua, the entire Jesus discipleship was banned from the temple at or around that time, or discouraged or made very difficult to go to the temple at that time, but yet the followers of Jesus grew exponentially all the time because of the small gatherings that occurred. They found a different way to serve the people and grow exponentially faster than the corporate Pharisaic temple at the time. But that doesn't fit in the comfy model that we've been building. And, no, and I, I feel I, like I that's the problem. And maybe some of that, and this is a conversation that David had with me years ago, I believe it was David, but that is the American church, because it does not experience persecution, is at a very flat or declining growth rate. But you have other 
-hmm. You have believers in other countries that experience persecution. So the value of worship becomes so much greater that they grow. And when they grow, they grow deeper. Yeah. Was that you, David? Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. 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 That sounds like something I'd say. (laughs) No, I think so. And I actually, I think David, I think we had that conversation when you and I were meeting on rabbit trails, uh, work for a while. Yep. Yep. Wow. I didn't know you hung out with Elmer Fudd. Yes, we did. His name was David. (laughs) (laughs) I I need to uh, go. Okay. Well, good. Um, Good that I have to go. Yeah, well, fine. it's over. Hey, see you later. <laughs> Join us late and everything. We waited for you and all that. We appreciate it. Um, Good talking to you, Jake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is the yeah. David Allen Show. Um, I think we'll uh, call this one and see what happens. You need um, to call this one the Facebook argument. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Absolutely. I like it. Um. Any last thoughts before we, uh, the peanut gallery, do you have any thoughts on any of this? Well, I just thought it was interesting. Has anyone ever seen uh, Jacob Fry and Justin Trudeau in the same building together? <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> they might be the same guy. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have anything to say. Nice. We'll just see if, if Fry, if, if he ever says the word a boot, hey. then you'll know it's the same guy. <laughs> Rather than about, anyways. Like the police boot? No, a boot. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Uh huh. What are you talking about? That's, oh, I thought that's where you water ski behind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think I'm the only one that got that. That was funny in my oh. own, that was funny in my own headspace. <laughs> it's always funnier in your, yeah, anyways. Is it really? Sometimes, yeah. Hmm. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank hey, you very much. Is. We appreciate you uh, sitting uh, down with us. Uh, oh, you did say, uh, Jay, did I hear that you have uh, gone down the road of acquiring a maybe a better microphone? Yes, I have. I have a... I could give you the brand. <clears throat> I could give you the brand, but it's probably nothing fantastic compared to your standards. But well, clearly, I did, order, I did order a microphone that should be much better than my webcam microphone. Um, but I am waiting on Amazon to deliver it, <laughs> and it is a non-essential. So, and there you have it. <laughs> uh, it does appear as though it's supposed to show up next week, though. Mm, gotcha. Well, that's so. exciting. That'll be good. So uh, the next time you're on, hopefully you'll sound better, which is always good. Always. Um, all right. All right. <clears throat> if you're interested to uh, to sh- send it on to your friends. Um, David, any uh, any last thoughts? Uh, no. Nothing, really? Nothing. <sighs> I can't believe really. it. Adventures and we
That's Nate Allen. Destroy Nate Allen here on the David Allen Show. Uh, they talk occasionally on the internet. Have a great night. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Toodles. Easy to forget.